You're listening to the sermon podcast by Southside Baptist Church in Florence, South Carolina. We exist to know God and to make Jesus known. For more up-to-date information, check us out at southsidenow.church. Good morning. I'd like you to turn with me this morning, if you would, to the Gospel of Matthew, the second chapter. We're going to begin our reading at verse 1. Matthew chapter 2 and verse 1. After Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea during the time of King Herod, Magi from the east came to Jerusalem and asked, Where is the one who has been born King of the Jews? We saw his star when it rose and have come to worship him. When King Herod heard this, he was disturbed, and all Jerusalem with him. When he had called together all the people's chief priests and teachers of the law, he asked them where the Messiah was to be born. In Bethlehem in Judea, they replied, for this is what the prophet has written. But you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah, For out of you will come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. Then Herod called the Magi secretly and found out from them the exact time the star had appeared. He sent them to Bethlehem and said, Go and search carefully for the child. As soon as you find him, report to me so that I too may go and worship him. After they had heard the king... They went on their way, and the star they had seen when it rose went ahead of them until it stopped over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they were overjoyed. On coming to the house, they saw the child with his mother Mary, and they bowed down and worshipped him. Then they opened their treasures and presented him with gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. And having been warned in a dream not to go back to Herod, They returned to their own country by another route. I'd like to take sort of as my text this morning, the question of the wise men in verse 2. Where is the one who has been born king of the Jews? We sang about it just a few moments ago in one of our favorite Christmas carols, joy to the world, the Lord is come, let earth receive her king. That's the really good news of the Christmas message this morning. The Lord has come, the King of kings has entered into our realm and, and, and dwelled here on earth. Matthew, more than any other of the gospel writers, goes to great lengths to prove the kingship of Jesus. He includes a genealogy here to prove that Jesus is of the royal line of David. He quotes the Old Testament prophecies that predict the coming of a Messiah, a king. Notice here we just read Matthew chapter 2 verse 6 from Micah, but you Bethlehem in the land of Judah are by no means least among the rulers of Judah, for out of you will come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. And only Matthew includes this amazing story of the Magi who come seeking a newborn king. And yet, as John tells us over in his gospel, most reject their king. He says in John 1.11, he came to that which was his own, but his own 
did not receive him. There's an interesting scene that takes place later in Jesus' life as he stands before Pilate at his trial. Pilate asks the question. He says, are you the king of the Jews? That was the accusation they brought against Jesus. That was the reason he was crucified. Jesus answers, yes, but my kingdom is not of this world. In an attempt to pacify the crowd, Pilate has his soldiers dress Jesus in a purple robe. They stick a crown of thorns on his head. They beat him and they mock him. And Pilate brings them brings him out before them, this battered Jesus, and he says, here's your king. And the crowd yells, crucify him, crucify him. And Pilate asks again, he says, shall I crucify your king? And the chief priests say, we have no king but Caesar. And eventually, he turns him over to be crucified. And yet in defiance to the Jews, Pilate has a sign made and nailed to the cross that proclaims in three languages... Jesus of Nazareth, King of the Jews. He came into his own, but his own did not receive him. But you and I know that the story doesn't end there. They kill their king, but he doesn't stay in the tomb. He comes forth and he ascends to heaven, and he sits this morning at the right hand of the Father, and one day he is going to return as triumphant king. I love the way Paul puts it in Romans 14 where he says, As surely as I live, says the Lord, every knee will bow before me, every tongue will confess to God, so then each of us will give an account of himself to God. You see, Jesus is still king this morning, whether you and I accept him or not. We can deny him, we can reject him, we can say we don't believe what the Bible says about him, We can say, I don't want him to be my king, but he's still king this morning. And one of these days, you and I will stand in his presence and give an account of ourselves. And that's either going to be a day of great joy and praise and blessing, or it's going to be a terrible day of fear and judgment. It all depends on what we do with King Jesus now. And I want us to see this morning from the scriptures that there are three different responses that we can have to this king. In some ways, I think all of mankind could be divided into these three categories, into these three groups. What will be your response to the one who has been born king of the Jews? I trust it'll not be the reaction of King Herod. That's the first response, the response of fear and hatred. Look at Matthew 2, 3. When King Herod heard that this, he was disturbed and all Jerusalem with him. Now, why was King Herod troubled by this news that a king had been born in the land of, of Israel? Well, maybe a little background to Herod would help you understand some of this. Herod came from a very well-connected political family. He, he grew up in a home with all kinds of plots and counterplots. And his fact, in fact, his father was eventually assassinated by poisoning. 
Herod bided his time until he became king, and then he found out who was responsible for his father's death, and he invited them all to his home for a dinner party. Only his greeters were paid hitmen. They took your coat and then stabbed you with a dagger, and uh, he, in a single night, killed all of the people who he felt were responsible for his father's death. And history records that Herod slept exceptionally well that night. In fact, Herod came to power primarily by making himself useful to the Romans during a time of civil unrest in Palestine. He was, he was ruthless. He was uh, noted for using arrests and beatings and extortion and blackmail and kidnappings and torture and execution to get what he wanted. Right after he came to power, there's a story told about that there were marauding bands that were making the roads near Jerusalem almost impassable. Herod managed to capture one of the leaders, tortured him to death slowly in the town square, and the thievery stopped. Uh, he was that kind uh, of a ruler. When the occasion called for it, Herod could be quite the diplomat. He was a master politician. We see, I think, some signs of that here, even in his dealings with the wise men. During a time of famine, Herod engineered a clothing and a food distribution system. He bankrolled several building projects like the temple. That This was Herod's temple. He rebuilt the temple in Jerusalem. During a time of uh, economic downturn, he even cut taxes for a little while. Herod knew how to buy political favors, and then he never hesitated to call those in. Uh, most of his ten marriages were politically motivated and were aimed at consolidating his power. However, Herod had one fatal flaw, and that was his paranoia. He developed a network of spies all over Israel. He forced tens of thousands of slaves to build elaborate, heavily armed fortresses all over Palestine. Some of them included swimming pools and dining halls and recreational facilities. One of them, Masada, took up an entire mountaintop uh, just for his own personal protection. And Herod never hesitated to eliminate someone he thought might be a threat. He is said to have murdered two of his wives and three of his own sons because he thought they were trying to take away his kingdom. One Roman emperor said... It was safer to be Herod's pig than to be his son. Um, he was just that kind of guy. And so it's this fear, this paranoia, this suspicion of everyone that causes Herod to miss the miracle of Jesus' birth. It's this fear of this infant king that causes him to murder all of the babies to and under in the area around Bethlehem. We read this story and we hear about this and we think, what a nutcase this Herod really was. What a wicked, diabolical maniac. But what I want us to understand this morning is that there are plenty of Herods still around. All you need to do is mention the name of Jesus and some people get upset. You start talking about Christ and they get offended. They get angry. Rosemary and I have some relatives that literally avoid us like the plague. Uh, I, think it's, I guess they think it's because I'm a pastor and I'm probably going to preach at them or something, so, although I've never done that. 
But, but I know people that are just scared to death of church. Probably you do too. They're wary. They're, they've got their guard up. They wouldn't come to a service like this for, for anything. And here's why. They're threatened by King Jesus. They're fearful for the same reason King Herod was. You see, if Jesus is king, then I can't be king anymore. If Jesus is Lord, if he takes over the rule of my life, then I can't run the show. I can't do whatever I want. I'll have to surrender control. I'll have to do what he wants. And that's why people reject him. You see, if I start letting King Jesus take over my life, then my old self gets threatened. Because I know if I receive him, if I make him my king, then I may have to change some things. There may be some places that I can't go anymore and some things that I can't do. There there may be some attitudes, some habits that are going to have to change. And let me assure you this morning, if Jesus comes into your life, He will make changes. If you make Him Lord of your life, things will be different. You can't have it both ways. Either He's Lord or He's nothing. And unless you're willing to bow before Him this morning and let Him be your King, He will not come in. Herod was afraid that Jesus would take over his kingdom. That's why he was disturbed. That's why he feared him. That's why he tried to destroy him. And some of you might be afraid this morning that he wants to take over your life. That's why you avoid him. That's why you resist and rebel and fight against him. But I can promise you one thing this morning. Jesus can do a better job running your life than you ever could. He can do a far better job. You don't have to fear him this morning. But there's a second reaction to Jesus I see in the story. That's the reaction of indifference. We see it in the response of the chief priests. Look at Matthew chapter 2 verse 4. He said, when he had called all the people's chief priests and teachers of the law, he asked them where the Christ was to be born. In Bethlehem of Judea, they replied, for this is what the prophet has written. But you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah, for out of you will come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. I've always thought it strange that these magi, these wise men from the east, with only a smattering of science and astronomy, would travel hundreds of miles across deserts and mountains in scorching heat and freezing cold, to find the Christ child. They had almost no knowledge of Scripture, just a glimmer of light, some signs in the heavens, and yet they come. And yet, here are the chief priests and these teachers of the law with all of their biblical knowledge, and they miss it. They quote the passage here from Micah. They know where the Messiah is to be born in Bethlehem. And yet there's no indication that I can find that they ever bothered to go the six short miles to Bethlehem and search for themselves. Six miles. Downhill. On a good day, I think I could run that in an hour. Uh, uh, Have you ever wondered why? Why don't they go? Why don't they? This was their Messiah, their king. 
How can they be so indifferent, so nonchalant? How can they ignore this amazing news? You know what I think? I think they were just too busy. You know, they were too preoccupied to be bothered. They had sacrifices to offer and rituals to perform and the temple to take care of. Who knows, there might have been a potluck dinner at the church that weekend. Kosher, but it would still have been a potluck dinner. They, they didn't have time to go to Bethlehem to search for this new king. And besides, they didn't really need a Messiah. They had a pretty good thing going the way things were. They had power and prestige and money, and they worked out a pretty good arrangement with the Herod and the Romans. They, they didn't need a Messiah to come and upset that. It's interesting, the wise men find Jesus and the chief priests don't. You know what the primary difference, I think, was? The wise men were seeking him. The chief priests were not. In the 1920s, evangelist Oswald Smith went to Russia to hold some evangelistic meetings. And Smith said he was amazed at how God's Spirit moved. Thousands flocked to hear the gospel. Hundreds were saved. Smith said it didn't matter when you had the service. It could be three in the morning. A crowd would show up. He said it didn't, you know, it didn't matter if Kansas City was playing the Eagles on, you know, tell, it didn't, none of that mattered what was going on. It didn't matter what the weather was like. People came. And Smith said, I had never witnessed anything like that in the U.S. or in Canada or even in Europe. He goes on to say that the reason he believed we don't see that kind of revival in this country is because we're missing the most important ingredient for revival. Smith says that is hunger. Hunger. We're smug. We're satisfied. We're content. We're not seeking and hungering and thirsting after God. We're happy to just show up to church every now and then and go through the motions. We're not really concerned about the lost or seeing people one to Christ. We're too wrapped up in our own little world. David Platt has written an amazing little book called Radical. And in that book, he talks about uh, the difference in teaching in a thatched roofed hut in Sudan and the typical worship service in his church. He says the moment when he was in Sudan that he began teaching, he immediately lost eye contact with his audience. He said the reason is because they were furiously writing down everything that he said. He said for three hours they listened and wrote, and when he finally stopped, they wanted more. I, I found that true myself a number of years ago when I went to uh, Zambia to teach some pastors and if I had had more material I didn't take enough they would have listened for days uh, I, I ran out of stuff to tell them uh, after a while but uh, David Platt says in his book he says those leaders in Sudan weren't writing that down just so they could take it back to their villages uh, and, and have it for themselves they wanted to share it they were writing it down in order to reproduce it in other people. We don't do that, typically. If we write anything down, we never look at it again. Our attitude is typically, what can I get out of this? How can I get something from this? We're consumers, not reproducers of the gospel. We've heard this Christmas story so many times. 
Our attitude is, is we're, we're just indifferent. We're preoccupied with other things. We're too busy to be excited about the fact that our king has come. Which brings me to the third response, the third reaction that I want us to see, and that's the response of worship we see in the wise men. Look with me at Matthew chapter 2, verse 10. When they saw the star, they were overjoyed. On coming to the house, they saw the child with his mother Mary, and they bowed down and worshipped him. Then they opened their treasures and presented him with gifts of gold and incense and of myrrh. Notice first three things here. Notice first that they sought and they found him. It's amazing to me how God directs these magi. He allows them to see signs in the stars and the constellations that speak to them of a coming king. We don't know exactly what those signs were. There's an excellent little video out called The Star of Bethlehem that you may have seen that, that gives some pretty good insight into that. But most of the world missed these signs. As far as we know, these foreigners are the only ones who followed the star. And yet it indicates they were overjoyed when they saw it stopped over the place where the child lay. It's interesting how God makes sure these magi find the Christ child. You see, God promises in Scripture, in Jeremiah, you will seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart. I will be found by you, declares the Lord. In Matthew 7, Jesus admonishes us to seek and you will find. Or as the writer of Hebrews says, God rewards those who diligently seek him. The wise men sort of glide into this story and then glide back out again. And we know very little about them. We don't know really what happens to them. And yet they find the Christ child. They follow the star and they respond to that little bit of light. And God rewards their efforts. Maybe you're here this morning and you can identify with these wise men. You're not a Bible scholar this morning. You don't really understand a, a lot of theology. You can't explain the Trinity. You can't even spell justification, much less tell us what it means. But somehow you've felt Jesus knocking at your heart's door. You've heard that still small voice of the Holy Spirit. You know that you need Him. Let me assure you this morning, if you take the first step toward Jesus... He'll meet you. You will find him there. God will make sure that you find him. Notice with me, secondly, that the wise men bowed in surrender and submission before their king. Look again at verse 11. On coming to the house, they saw the child with his mother Mary, and they bowed down and worshiped him. Have you ever thought how strange this must have looked? Here were these important wealthy magi kneeling before a baby. Not in a palace, not in a royal mansion, but in a humble home. We think Jesus was no longer in the manger at this point, but his circumstances were not all that improved. Mary and Joseph were still poor peasants from Nazareth. So poor, in fact, that when they offer an offering for Mary's purification, that's the offering of the poorest of the poor. That they give. 
Last year, Rosemary and I had the opportunity to visit the Church of the Nativity in Bethlehem, which is erected over the cave where some people think that Jesus may have been born. Nobody knows really for sure. I'm not sure that it really matters, but there's an interesting feature of this church. Even the shortest person has to stoop to enter through the doorway leading into the church. I like the symbolism of that. If you and I are to come to Jesus this morning, we must approach on our knees. And I'm not talking about physically bowing, but I'm talking about bending our hearts to do His will. The eye needs to be bent to become a sea. As Paul says, not I, but Christ. Not my will, Lord, but yours. Not what I want, but what you want. If we're to receive Christ this morning, we must come admitting and confessing our need. We must be willing to bow and surrender our will to His. And then the third thing these wise men do is they give Him gifts. Notice the last part of verse 11. Then they opened their treasures and presented Him with gifts of gold and incense and myrrh. Now some of you might say, well, Pastor, that leaves me out. I don't have any gold or frankincense or myrrh. I don't have much to give. Listen, I I believe those gifts are just symbolic. What the wise men really gave, what Christ really wants this morning is our heart. I love that little Christmas poem by Christina Rossetti. I'm sure you've heard it before. It says, what can I give him, poor as I am? If I were a shepherd, I'd bring him a lamb. If I were a wise man, I would do my part. Yet what can I give him? I give him my heart. And that's what Jesus really wants from each and every one of us this morning. This and I'll close this morning. Just after Queen Victoria became the Queen of England, she went to attend a performance of Handel's Messiah. The young queen was instructed that when the hallelujah chorus was sung, that everyone else would stand except for her. As queen, she was permitted to remain seated during the song. But as the singers began to sing, hallelujah, hallelujah, the Lord God omnipotent reigneth, the queen could barely stay in her seat. And finally, when they got to that part, where it says, King of kings and Lord of lords, and he shall reign forever and ever, she could stand it no longer. Breaking the custom of monarchs all over Europe, Queen Victoria rose very reverently to her feet and bowed her head in worship. No one missed the significance of what she did. Yes, she was queen of the mighty British Empire, perhaps the most powerful ruler of her day. And yet she had the good sense to realize there was one even greater than her, the King of kings and the Lord of lords. Is he your king this morning? I'm going to ask you to bow your head with me for just a moment. And on this third Sunday of Advent, what is your response going to be to the newborn king? Will you reject him and turn away from him out of fear like Herod? Will you ignore him and treat him with indifference? 
Or will you let him be your king and your Lord? Will you surrender your life to him this morning in worship? I'm going to ask you to do something this morning as we close our service. If you want to, if God's been speaking to you this morning and you would like to invite him to be your king, I'm going to ask you to stand right where you are this morning. Just stand as a a sign. Lord, I want you to be my king this morning. All of us ought to be standing. Lord, I want you to be my king, my Lord, this morning. I want to worship you. We're going to do that in just a moment. We're going to sing that little chorus. Oh, come let us adore you as a worship to Him this morning. Would everyone stand, please, now?